Lord, to trust you, to believe what you say, that you care greatly for us, that you care very deeply about the hurting, the sick, the lost. You care very deeply about what it is that we go through. You do care when, when we fail, uh, but we also know that you care enough about us to not fail for us. And so, God, we thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. We thank you, God, for your word. I pray this morning that you give us open hearts, um, give us humility, give us open ears uh, to hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe this morning. And we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. We thank you for your son in whose name we pray. Amen. So, uh, I had a really cool plan going into this morning. I was going to show a video clip. It was actually the shorter trailer of this Han Solo movie out. You know, you don't talk about the Star Wars movie? We've had some technical issues, so I can't do it. So, I'm just going to enact it all for you. And as we, no, I'm just. The reason I wanted to have that video placed because the sermon this morning is called Grace Backstory. And that's what that movie. Han Solo was, right? It was a backstory about one of the important characters in that, in that series, in that, uh, the Star Wars series. And so I'll explain to you why it's called backstory this week in just a minute, but it's pretty fascinating what God did in my heart this week. So just real quick, what is a backstory? <clears throat> it's a set of events preceding and leading up to a current plot, a literary device of history chronologically earlier than the narrative of primary interest. I made that definition up myself. No. You know, one of my favorite uh, TV series of all time was that show Lost. How many of you ever saw Lost? Like, more of you, come on, that's it? That was a good show. And one of the things that made that show cool is they'd have the current plot, but every episode would flash back to a backstory about one of the characters, and it was really cool. And that's what happened to me this week as I was reading this passage. I mean, the question is, have you ever thought about your backstory? Do you even know what it is? Is it important? Of course, I'm talking about your grace backstory. Let's read the passage today in 2 Corinthians and we continue our series. We're up to chapter 11, verses 7 through 15. Here's what Paul writes. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them to serve you. Now, the word robbed is hyperbole. It doesn't mean like he stole from them. What he's saying is they supported you when you should have been supporting me. Uh, and when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in all the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do, which is basically to do ministry for free. To undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their, that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. He's saying they don't work on the same terms. I work for free. They're out for your money. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. 
So I want to look at the cultural side of this passage, you know, the, the history behind it, what was going on. <clears throat> the cultural side of this is the Corinthian money. So let me explain to you what's going on here. Paul has a life purpose. Paul's commitment to ministry in Corinth wasn't motivated by money or by fame to trying to develop his own personal legacy. None of that. Paul's life purpose was formed by what happened to him. You guys remember we talked a little bit about the road to uh, the road he was on where God appeared to him. And then we see in Acts chapter 9, 13 to 15, I'm just going to read this to you. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. These are Christians who say, you want Paul to become one of us? Paul was a murderer of Christians. Why in the world will we trust him? How much evil he's done to your saints of Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who come in your name. He is the person that the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders used to persecute and kill Christians. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Think about this. So Paul is in this process. God saves him. Uh, God is transforming him. And God is using a lot of people to teach him and lead him. And then all of a sudden the news comes, Paul is going to be an apostle. And Ananias says, God, why in the world would we let this guy be an apostle? Do you remember who he was? And God says, I've chosen him. I mean, this created... This, this story about how God saved Paul, how God kept Paul from, you know, transformed him from being a murderer to an apostle. This created an apostle that was devoted and committed to sacrificially serve Gentile churches. It was relentless motivation that a first century apostle would need, if you think about it. This supernatural story of Paul. I mean, his motivation for going to Corinth was not for the money. It's because he was blinded on the road on the way to killing some other Christians. God saves him, transforms him, and God takes this guy who other Christians are a little bit skeptical of, and God says, no, he's my chosen. It created for him a life purpose that was free from the burden of selfishness. And because of that, he had pure motives. I mean, to show his genuine love for Corinth, Paul goes through in this passage and explains how he was supported. He said, I didn't come to you looking for money, unlike the false teachers. I refused your support even when I was in need because I knew there was anti-Paul sentiment all throughout the town. So I came, and what history teaches us is he started off there as a tent maker. He started his own business. He went into Corinth. He started making tents so he could provide for him and his team that was with him. Even when he was in need, he wouldn't ask for money. He depended upon the poor churches of Macedonia. We've talked about them in the past, right? For those of you that have been here. These poor, war-torn churches. And he recalls how he boasted to these churches about what was going on in Corinth because he loved them so much. And at one point, he was in such need, he says, look, I can't keep doing this apostleship stuff and this tent-making stuff. At some point, I've got to go full-time. And so Silas and Timothy brought support from one of these Macedonian churches. And then Paul was able to become a full-time apostle, a full-time pastor for those people were there while he was there. 
And his motives were pure. He says, look, I am not here for the money. They are. And that comes to our next point in the cultural. He's ex exposing the scoundrels. Paul compares his motives to the money-hungry false teachers. I'll tell you what, the one thing the false teachers could not attack Paul on was his money. I mean, he was doing it for nothing. And in taking no money from Corinth for himself, remember when he did collect money for Corinth, it was for the hurting Christians in Jerusalem who were going through persecution. What he does in that, it's pretty amazing, is he exposes the true motives of the false teachers. He calls them, as a matter of fact, he calls them servants of Satan. And he predicts their work will crumble. So that's the cultural side of this. Let's look at the spiritual or the theological backstory. I call it our backstory. So this is our backstory, this whole passage, even if you don't realize it. Now, on the surface, yes, it seems like this passage is about Paul defending his character against these false teachers. And we've seen it a lot through this book. But there was a stunning backstory that I just couldn't get away from this week as I was studying and writing this sermon. It had a profound impact on me personally. And it's this mention of Christians in Macedonia. And if you do just a little research, you'll know exactly who these Christians are in Macedonia. You know who they are? The Philippians. This amazing church. The first one we studied here, if you remember, we started Grace Life. We did our series on the book of Philippians. This amazing church that Paul had incredible passion and love for started from scratch and it turned into, I think I can say this with accuracy, it turned into the most important first century church of all of them. My opinion, which means it's right. <laughs> and this backstory of the Philippians actually is our backstory. And let me explain in just a minute. First off, we have in this, this, the, the, the spiritual side, what God does and how he does it. There's this sovereign grace. Look at this story. And Paul talks about this in Acts chapter 16, 7 through 10. Or, I mean, Luke talks about this, and he's talking about Paul's journey. He says, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. This is Asia. They want to go into the Asia area. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go where they wanted to go. So passing by that area, they went down to Troas. And then a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man from Macedonia standing there urging him saying please come over to Macedonia and help us and when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them specifically Philippi so sovereign grace intervenes Paul has a plan We've been here, now we're going to go to the Asia areas, we're going to go there, we're going to preach the gospel. And the Spirit of God stops them and says, no, I want you to go to Macedonia, these poor, war-torn churches, or war-torn cities. Please come help us, the vision says. So Paul goes to Macedonia. And God's sovereign grace points Paul to a place he had no intention of going. Paul did not have in his plans to start a church called Philippi that would become his most beloved church. I would imagine that when Paul told them the story of how he came to Philippi, and I imagine he repeated it often, you guys understand, I wasn't supposed to be here. Let me tell you 
how and why this church is so amazing. I was going to go to Asia. And God said, no, go to Macedonia instead. Paul had no idea at that time that this little church would end up funding most of his ministry. I mean, it's a stunning, guys, listen, it's a stunning result of the gospel transforming them. And because of all this, right, this story about how God redirected him to Macedonia and this incredible story about how, listen, here's how God saved me. Then I was going to go here and then he brought me to you and now you're here and now we have this church. Isn't this an amazing story? Because of this, Philippi, the Philippians believed in Paul's mission, especially to Corinth. You understand the difference? You see the contrast of a church that has amazing passion for Paul and love and affection Compared to the church in Corinth, which is constantly, do we like Paul? Yes, we do. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. False teachers, we like them. No, we don't like them. Now we do it. Back and forth. And the Philippians were like, no. God has blessed us with Paul. He's our man. And this sovereign grace story, it inspires this church in Philippi in just stunning ways. And the church becomes the most important resource for all his missionary journeys, not just to Corinth. And they sacrificially funded journey after journey to region after region, most of them with far more resources than they had. They even funded ministries to where the gospel started, Jerusalem. In many respects, Philippi becomes the hub of Christianity. It just blew me away as I started studying a little bit more in detail the history. And so did this, they made this substantial sacrifice. And Paul even spells it out for them in Philippians chapter 4. He talks about his sacrifice. And I think it inspires them. He says, if I am poured out as a drink offering... And he says this in Philippians 4, it's pretty amazing. He says, yet it was kind. Look what he says. This is how he explains their generosity as he's writing to the Philippians. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Probably his trouble while he's in Corinth. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, when I left where you are, no church entered into partnership with me. And giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs time and time again. Not that I sought the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases from your credit. I have received full payment from you and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you have sent they are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and highly pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, you guys were the only church to support me. Remember, these aren't the rich Corinthians. You were the only church to do this. And I got to tell you, I am overwhelmed with how much you've given me. I am fully supplied here. I didn't even ask you for it. You just sent it. 
I'm blown away. And this results in some inevitable gratitude. Paul even says in Philippians chapter 2, 17 and 8, here's what he explains to the Philippians, a little bit of their backstory. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, I'm willing to be totally poured out for you. Completely, utterly, fully poured out for one reason. I want to be the sacrifice and service upon your faith to make you stronger. This is the back and forth, the give and take that Paul had with the Philippians. Now, let me ask you about this. I would imagine Paul told the story of his calling to Philippi a lot. Here's my question to you. Do you think God used this news from Paul about how he was funded in the hearts of the Corinthians? I mean, this follows what Paul had talked about in the previous passage where he says, my goal was to come to you and not build my own empire, but through you begin to have influence on other regions. That's exactly what the, he had seen it done by the Philippians. Philippians had helped him have impact on other regions, and that's what he's hoping for here. Do you think the Corinthians heard this story? I mean, there's a couple of responses, right? One is, oh, Philippians, oh, they give a lot. Well, 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 aren't they special? Philippians this, Philippians that. Why do you always talk about the Philippians? Or could it be, man, they paid for Paul to be here? See, what I think happens is when you mix this type of story with the Holy Spirit and the gospel, I think there's really only one inevitable response. It's gratitude. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, to me, once the Corinthians know the backstory of how Paul's ministry was funded there, I got to think that humbled them a little bit. That poor region paid for you to be here? So let's talk about the personal side of this this morning. I want you to know your backstory. You can see how it might be important, right? I mean, think about the response Corinth must have had to these words. Now, I might be making some assumptions here, okay? Based upon how I think I would feel if I were a Corinthian, you know? But I believe that God did the same thing in their heart that he did with Philippi. Remember when Paul went to Philippi, he says, let me tell you the story. This is what happened to me. This is how God brought me. This is what God did in my life. And I'm willing to be poured out. And the Philippians responded with the gospel and the Holy Spirit and saying, wow, what can we do to help? I think because the way God works in people's lives is part of why we look at the theological aspect or the spiritual aspect of a passage I might be making an assumption, but I bet the Corinthians responded to this in a pretty amazing way. Especially if you add the influence of faith and the Holy Spirit. How could you respond any other way, right? I mean, how could you come to the point where you recognize your need of a Savior and still resent other people for being sacrificial for your faith? It doesn't make any sense to me. I believe God used this story to inspire Corinth to become a backstory for other regions. Which brings me to, this was my, uh, on social media, the Sunday sermon preview this week. I'm making some assumptions, but I think they're pretty accurate. The American church exists because of Philippian sacrifice.
Where would we be if not for the Philippians? I mean, think about it. The Philippians bankrolled the first century church. We still benefit today because of them bankrolling Paul. In fact, the Corinthians became part of our backstory as well. Have you ever thought about the sacrifice that others have made on the service of your faith? How often do you even think about it? What about how they got to that point where they were willing and able to be sacrificial? What about how God saved them? Who did God use to save them? What should be our response when we consider our backstory? But here's what happens right now in America. I feel like we are victim to the shackles of right now. That's what I feel like. The church in America right now, right now, we, we are so busy being Christians, we don't even think about the backstory. The tendency in the American church is to forget about our backstory and we become, I have a new term for you, ready? We become grace narcissists. Oh, we've got grace, 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 grace. Yes, grace is great. And we think we are the pinnacle of it somehow. The right now distracts us from sacrifice and service on the faith of others. And we forget about those who sacrifice a service for that behind us. And we get our ears and hearts tickled by contaminated gospels. That was what was going on in Corinth. We get our ears and hearts tickled by celebrity preachers with great books. We get distracted by Christian politics, both left and right. We get distracted by the latest Christian pop culture. I remember when The Shack came out. Oh, you got to go see The Shack. And this doesn't, no, you better not go see The Shack. There's a war going on. Ignore it. Go to it. Boycott it. Go to it 20 times. A few years earlier, I remember there was a book that came out. Oh, you got to read The Prayer of Jabez. You just got to read The Prayer of Jabez. Oh, The Prayer of Jabez is bad. No, it's great. It's unbelievable. And we get distracted by this Christian pop culture. What's going on right now? And these same things shackled Corinth from fulfilling their mission. That's why Paul's writing them. Let me tell you how this all came to be in Corinth. Because I believe that understanding and embracing our backstory inspires us in a way that allows us to escape the shackles of right now and look forward. Think about this. The best way to look forward to what God wants us to be is not necessarily being obsessed with the now, but looking at the past. You don't believe me? It's exactly what Paul does in Hebrews chapter 11. In the Hebrews chapter 11, he lists all the people who did something amazing by faith. I'm going to ask you to read it this week. Read Hebrews chapter 11. And Paul teaches the Jewish Christians that he's writing to, listen, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah did this. Rahab did this. And he goes through these names of these people and he explains all the things they did in the past. <clears throat> Some people have called it the Hall of Faith. That's kind of a corny name, but it's, I guess it works. You know what he does? After chapter 11, he follows up in verse uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 with this verse. All the things he lists. And he says, therefore, as we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, Memories of witnesses, Christians in our past, Christians before us. Let us lay aside every burden, the right now, and sin which clings so closely. And run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's a great backstory. Despising shame and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to be distracted by right now? Try that one. I guess, church, what I'm trying to say to you is I'm giving you an assignment this week. You need to read Hebrews chapter 11 and then the first part of chapter 12. And I want you to specifically take time this week to remember, recall, and research and explore your own personal grace backstory. Don't just start with the day God saved you. Go back a little bit. And if the people who God used to lead you to Christ are still around, call them up. Hey, how did you become a child of God? Who sacrificed for you? Pray for this week insight and wisdom from God to help you remember. To understand your own personal backstory. Perhaps reach out to some of those people that God brings to your mind. I can tell you this. I did it this week. And it helped me get away from the right now. And have fresh motivation and inspiration to become someone else's backstory. Dad, we're so thankful for the people who have come before us. The sacrifice they've made for our faith. God, I pray that you would help us to have the ability to not be so distracted by the right now, but admire the sacrifice of those before us so that we can be that for those coming after. Help us to be part of a grace backstory. It's almost like I...